You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ team leader, jujitsu lover, meme enthusiast, and dad joke aficionado, Aaron Love. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the team room. This week, we got something really special for you. The brand new chief, half of the command team down at the Special Warfare Training Group, bringing his years of experience and gunmetal hair to the podcast this week. So got some uh, some big stuff and some big conversations we want to have. But first, as always, thank you so much for everything that you guys are doing, following us on the socials. Thanks for going to Facebook. Thanks for engaging, waiting through what that is. Thanks for following the Instagram, coming out watching the YouTube channel, watching the podcast. And and when we drop, it's been awesome. We got a ton of good guests coming up for you guys. As always, we can't do it alone. We don't get any money from this, but we all use these products and we think they're pretty cool. So check them out. They'll give you a discount for using One's Ready basically at all the checkouts. So go to uh, onesready.com slash partners and you'll see uh, some of those discounts we got. If you need coffee, if you need some energy, if you need a sweet new pack, it's all over there. So go check it out. All that aside, Chief Cox, thanks for coming on. How you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me up here. I'm uh, looking for the opportunity to talk through uh, AS selection and, of course, my storied career. <laughs> Your storied career. That's a great place to start. Tell uh, you can do yeah, those... not all good stories. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, go as uh, as in depth as you want or as not. And, uh, you know, just we always start with kind of like a who you are portion. So here's yours. Go at it, Chief. Uh, sure. So I joined back in 95. That was 1995, not 1895, Aaron, before you say that. <laughs> so 95, right out of high school. Uh, and then uh, first duty assignment was in Keflavik, Iceland. I was there for a year. Uh, from there, I went to 23rd STS. I was there for about four years. Uh, then I went to uh, the Kirtland, the PJ schools, instructor there for about four years. And interesting on that, I in process the schoolhouse on 9-11. So the morning of 9-11, I was in process in the schoolhouse. I was watching the planes hit the building, right? Oh, so, wow. What was that it, like? Is that, I mean, you're walking into an instructor gig. That's like, a you know, at that time, it's a four-year controlled tour. So how, how was that signing in on 9-11 and watching that happen? Uh, it was like a punch in the gut because I'd been, you know, at the 23rd and it had good opportunities there. You know, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, hey, I want to take control of my career, go do the instructor thing because nothing's going on right now. Right. So, oh, man, you know, I, I, I <laughs> you hate in, to see it work. It, <laughs> you hate to see it work like that. Yeah. But it actually long in the long picture, it actually worked out very well for me. Uh, so I was there an instructor for four years during the war, hearing all the stories, and I was getting hungry. You know, I was out of the fight, and it felt like I was kind of like in a cheerleader mode. So it actually started making me really, really hungry to get back in the fight. And so that's part of the drive that drove me to, to uh, assess for the 724. Uh, did that, was picked up. I was there for about 11 years. Uh, and then from there, I went to Kadena as a squadron soup at the rescue squad out there for about three years. Uh, went up to Washington there for you know less than a year or so and then uh but it was a really good year you know that it actually was that time that you were here together you know you and i it was it was beautiful i'll yeah i'll let you think that uh so i was there for (laughs) a year and then uh down here to san antonio so i've been here physically about three weeks you know on the job maybe two weeks so i'm still getting my feet wet up here Uh, so it's there's a lot going on but it's a lot of good stuff at the same time right you're you're back in the pipeline again and uh and going back to you know 95 where jared definitely remembers that time frame um what what was the pipeline experience like you know when you went through what what are your overwhelming memories is it just like a a, a, a dull pain in your mind or or do you have any specific memories about what it was and what it did for you uh yeah that's a good question i think it's a series of painful sprints is what i remember uh, if i want to even want to frame it in that regard you know it's a lot of work hard really hard and then a lot of sitting around uh, boredom and then the sprinting hard going to different schools and uh, and boredom the, the other thing too is there's always this underlying sense of fear of failure because uh, back then if you if you failed something uh there there was very little uh, second chances it was either do it the first time or you're gone uh, so there's that fundamental uh, fear that gets instilled and i better make sure i'm ready every time because there's no second chances uh, so yeah, i no think co- that's, no uh, cone sympathizers no no the instructors would wrap a, a towel around you and tell you it was going to be okay Rock you back to the dorms? Oh, well, yeah, they'd walk you back to the dorms, but it wasn't uh, with their arm around your shoulder. You know? It was to help you pack. <laughs> That's it. Right. They were just <laughs> helping you get out of yeah. there. So, you know, so that was the environment back then. Uh, and, and, and honestly, I think uh, as I look back on it with, you know, what I've, what I've experienced now, it was we missed a lot of opportunities. We probably missed a lot of uh, good talent 
that we could have probably brought along, which I think is a good model now, uh, where we're we're catching guys that hey, you got you got everything, and you got the heart, and you got the mind for it, but you know, maybe physically you're not getting there. We can physics, you know, the body is easy to train. Uh, there's science behind that. That that's probably the easiest problem to fix. Uh, so I think that's what we're doing right today is we're not missing those uh, no, missing those guys that just missed those pushups and things like that because I you know. You know, I can easily name off probably five guys that I think were solid guys that just for some reason couldn't get the pull-ups or the run-in or anything like that, and, and we lost them. So, Right, and I, and I think we want to talk uh, about that a little bit later, but I still want to talk about you just a little bit. And one of the things that we've talked about before is after you make it through the pipeline and you get your beret and then you get to your first assignment, what was that first aha moment where you truly felt like you were a PJ, a, a pararescueman, you know, where it all kind of came together and you felt comfortable saying that you were that person? Oh man, it took years. Honestly, I, I always, I kept seeing things that I didn't feel like I was good enough at, you know? So yeah, you know, technically on paper you are, but in my mind, like I hadn't arrived for a long, long time. Uh, I think it's a dangerous mindset to say I've arrived and I'm it. Uh, because when that happens, you, you stop striving to get better and you, and you, and you actually start to atrophy. Right. So uh, I did finally reach that point where I felt comfortable on my skin saying, yep, I, I know my job, but it took many, many years to actually get there. At about that point, you got comfortable. You just decided to go for another selection so you could be uncomfortable again. You got like you have a problem with being comfortable. <laughs> I, I do, <laughs> absolutely. It's a, a yeah, jihad like, against comfortable, comfortable yeah. lifestyles. Yeah, boredom lives in comfort, and I don't like that. Uh, so it's kind of looking for that next, the next challenge. No, uh, I mean that's that's awesome. So, um, uh, and I think that that's what we, we talk about a lot, right? Like you never get comfortable with that fear of failure and, and moving forward, just always keeping that in the back of your mind. And I think that's a, a huge, a, a great example for all the young guys out there. It's like, Hey, when am I going to feel like I'm that person? And I think pushing all that, you know, I am the man thing to the side really helps, uh, I, you know, probably helped you have a really successful career so far, chief. Oh, absolutely. I, I think anyone who thinks that they are the man, you're not the man uh, because the people who are, they don't think that because they push themselves beyond the limit, right? You know, like, again, don't get comfortable with where you're at because you're never good enough. Like, if you think you're good enough, you're wrong. Uh, and then those are the most dangerous people out there because they've got nothing left to learn. Uh, so if completely you agree with that. that position, say again? I said I completely agree with that. Yeah, that's a, I, I, I get cautious and I get scared if I start getting too comfortable in something. Uh, so that's kind of my, my, my litmus test. Like, all right, you may be thinking you're a little bigger than you are. Chief's at a yeah. dinner at a nice seafood place, and he's just like, you know what? This is a little too nice. You know what I mean? <laughs> start sizing some people up. Certain, yeah, start squirting lemons in my eye. It's too nice in there. It's too comfortable. <laughs> Screw this. I'm going to go out and find my own seafood. <laughs> so you have, you know, you went through one selection at Indoc, and then you waited a couple of years, and you decided to go back through a whole nother selection. So what made you decide you know what other than you know not being not enjoying being comfortable which i'm in the same boat you are but so what was also one of the driving factors that motivated you to decide to go do that yeah it actually alludes back to what i was talking about you know i spent four years at the schoolhouse with a real war going on and just that hunger and in my mind you know if i want to get in the fight that 724 is a place to go for it uh, so I did it not to go through a selection. I did it to go get in the fight. You know, going through the selection was just a step to get there. Like the mission wasn't selection. The mission wasn't to complete selection. The mission was to get in the fight and be good at it. You know, that was just part of the process that you have to go through. Right. And so since you're where you're at now and you've done both of those types of assessment and selections, what are some of the similarities that you've noticed between them? Yeah, so I think... The similarities today are much, much more than they were back in the day. Uh, I think that the biggest one is you're looking at the, you know, the attributes-based approach now where we're looking at the person and not just what you can do uh, on the PT pad. All right. So, you know, challenging, you know, challenging some people physically is just a way to test the mind. And I think we're fully understanding that now uh, where it's, you know, I don't care that you can do 100 push-ups. I care that you can do 100 push-ups and still look out for the guy next to you. All right. So that's the kind of things that we're looking at. Uh, so I think that's the biggest similarity. And so, we, you know, there's a big focus in the soft selections of the physical, physical, physical. And so there, I think there can be a misperception of that's all we care about. No, testing the, bo testing the body is simply a vehicle to get inside someone's mind and see how they perform. Uh, so the physical absolutely matters, but it's also just a vehicle to test the mind and get to the core of who somebody is. Could you start putting the pain and start putting the pinch on people? The mass falls away and you start seeing who people really are. Uh, and so stressing the body and stressing you physically is a good way of doing that. 
you know, that's something that a lot of people couldn't get over whenever the graduation standards did, in fact, you know, go away. Um, a lot of people said, you know, well, what, what standard are you holding then? We really need this. And I, I've always kind of been under the mindset of I would rather somebody make it to the top of the mountain slower than me, but competent and be able to f- perform the mission than they're the first up there, but they have no idea what they're doing when they get up there or their liability mentally. Yeah, so that's just me. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, you know, when people say the standard, uh, my question back is what standard are you referring to? Uh, you alluded that like the standard was just physical. Can you pass a PT test with a certain number? And that's all we care about. And that is the standard. The reality is somebody has spent more than five minutes on a team. No, like, you know, team members are valued more for how many pushups they do. It's for who you are and what you can provide to the team. All right. So, yes, the more physical shape you're in, yeah, it gives you some more tools in that area. But that is not the end all be all by any means. And so for me, it is that evolving standard of, yep, there's a certain physical standard, but then who are you as a person and can you perform on the team? Uh, So that is the standard. And so that is what we're refining here at the training group right now. And I think we're getting we're getting pretty close of really understanding those attributes and what it actually means when you're trying to measure that in real life and how that translates to being on a team. Yeah, I agree. So since you did that second selection up at the 724, how did you best prepare for that? And is there anything that you would have done differently knowing what you know now? Yes, I would have done everything better before I went. I would have trained everything harder. <laughs> I would have I would have really put forth hundred percent effort and went hard. Yes. I just would have been I just would have been better. I just yeah. would have been better. <laughs> yeah. So it, it kinda of, that's one of the points of of a selection or as A and S is you'll never get to the point where it's gonna be painless. You're never going to get there to the point. I don't care how much you prepare. It's going to suck regardless, right? So don't go into the expectation of I'm going to prepare to the point where this is going to be easy. Like that's not going to happen. Uh, so that's the whole point. Uh, so everyone, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And a good, a good ANS uh, touches on all those aspects. And you're going to start finding out things about yourself that, frankly, you may not like the answers. But uh, you got to be courageous enough to stare it in the face and then tackle it and attack it and make yourself stronger in those areas. Absolutely. I think uh, one of the important things that we do as instructors was to just find that weakness like you were talking about and then kind of exploit that. We'd have teams where, you know, some teams hated having their feet jacked up or some teams hated 10 ups. And you could just tell that whenever those things occurred, they had talked about it at the dorms or whatever happened, but they'd just be ultimately stressed out because of that certain situation and just added chaos to the team. So what do we do? Of course, we had them do those things that they hated over and over again, duck walks, whatever it was. So just exploiting that and just knowing that it's going to be a suck fest. You know, you train your best and try and do, be as physically fit as possible to have that endurance to endure whatever is going to happen that day. But at the end of the day, you have to put your mind and your mind is going to be the part that gets you through the rest of training. So talking about uh, some of the stuff, going back a little bit, I know you're down there um, in the Pacific Northwest with Aaron for – uh, just about a year, which is just enough for all of us to get sick of him. I, he actually kind of followed me around or we followed each other around our career and we were at the 321st and we were at uh, Vegas. So I know how you kind of felt having to deal with him for a while. Um, I just but, stick around like a bad penny. I keep showing yeah. back up. And uh, <laughs> so doing that, you went over there. I know you didn't expect to be going away from the Pacific Northwest that fast. And you went over to a quick path from E8 to E9. Um, how did it feel to go back to that training site? Were you excited this time knowing what you were going to encounter or did you kind of have some reservations about it? Uh, I had the same app. Same attitude I do anytime I go into a new situation, new position is there's apprehension, right? Like, you know, you, I want to do well. Do I know what I need to do to, be, to, to get there? You know, the scary thing is knowing there are things I don't know. All right. And so in stepping in this position like this, you know, I know you're going to be confronted with things that I may not be completely prepared for just from a knowledge standpoint. So you started, you know, the best way to tackle that is get smart up front as much as you can and then be humble enough to say, I don't know, then go tackle it down and, and uh, get the answers. All right. So, you know, especially at a group level, you know, that's a whole new uh, echelon where, you know, there are certain dynamics involved that you simply have no experiences with until you get there. Uh, so that's the other thing is just accept that it's going to be discovery learning in a lot of ways and, and, and just know that just have the confidence that I don't know the answers, but I'll figure it out. And I think that's one of the good things that kind of selection prepared us for, just like we were talking about, you know, it's how do I keep on expanding my mindset? How do I keep on expanding 
everything that you can do, your organization skills, you have, obviously you have family and taking care of that aspect of your life. Just continue to expand and take on more and more stuff as you go through the military. And that's one of the things that uh, really prepares us, I think, and makes us uh, into problem solvers and people that can take care of whatever situation we go into. And then, so going from there, um, what did you, what have you heard about the new NS before you arrived? I know there's a lot of talk before, um, that people were really, uh, kind of butthurt about NDOT going away and they're changing all of our history, changing all the stuff. What were your initial kind of feelings and what did you hear about it before you stepped into that role? So I actually was fortunate. I actually got, I was able to see an ANS before I even applied for the position up here. Uh, so they did a call for bodies to help out and I was in a position that where I could, had the time. So I was like, I want to go down there and see what this new process is because I have no, no frame of reference of what it is. And I thought it was important for me to understand it because as we get new operators coming up, I need to know where they came from. Like, you know, when we all had that common base in doc, I, there was a base understanding. I know what you've been through. I know what your perspectives are. With this ANS, I had no clue. So I really wanted to see it just so I had an understanding of the perspective of this, this new generation coming up. So, you know, I went down, watched that for a couple of weeks, uh, saw some good stuff, and I saw some stuff that we can probably improve on that I think uh, NDOC, the old NDOC model absolutely did some good some good things and did some bad things. And uh, I think there's, you know, aspects of the new ANS that we could probably bring back from the old NDOC model that, and had it right. And I think it's one of those things where we can get the marriage of the best of both worlds. Because uh, I think Indoc was far, in my opinion, being a, you know a grad of that process and a quote a successful product, if you will. I still think it was too draconian. Uh, it was a very binary draconian, good enough, not good enough, and then the standard, like we said, was was way too binary. Like, can you can you run fast and do lots of push-ups or not? Uh, so you know, the real world is not that binary, and especially in the world of operation, like what makes a good operator. So I think it was bad on that front. Um, and so the, the process now is much more nuanced, and it takes account of all those factors that actually matter, that are actually relevant. It's funny yeah. that you, you talk about the binary aspect of it, too, because I failed my final evaluation at NDOC, uh, the fin swim, by two seconds. Okay. Two seconds yeah, and, and, get, and guess what? That's <laughs> a failure. Yeah, get your to go to station one. Good job, Peaches. You're terrible. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. I failed the reval, obviously, and then had to start all over yeah. again. I had so many dudes that were like that, and it was like, you know, a couple push ups short of graduation standards. And we knew he was a good dude. I had many conversations with those people on the side, and I knew that they were the right person and they had the right attitude. Um, but unfortunately, you know, honor is what it is, and those are the rules at the time. So I couldn't change all of those things about it. So, um, you know, there are some aspects like you're talking about that is it's really important that we capture that personality. And it's hard to do. Um, you know, do we go off of uh, push-ups, which really aren't relevant to what, how you're going to do your job. It just shows that you can, you know, you have the tenacity to get up to wherever you need to be, or do we go off of personality, which is kind of, I don't know, a little bit more difficult to gauge. You have some tests out there and stuff that we can, but, uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's a little bit harder to be completely objective. Um, that, so, yeah, I, I think on that, I think guys have concerns. I'll just go, I'll address that now of of the the lack of physical standard, right? Because mm -hmm. really, that's been the benchmark for generations. So it's very difficult for many guys to look past that as uh, an acceptable standard for getting us there. Now, I absolutely agree. There is minimum physical requirements that someone has to demonstrate themselves to perform. Absolutely, but it's not the whole thing. Uh, so in my mind, because I'm a very simplistic guy, I like to dumb things down. It's basically three basic bins where we're looking at people. It's heart, mind, and body. All right. And so in my mind, it's in that priority. Like the heart, do you have the drive to get yourself there? The mind, are you smart enough and ethically and morally? And then the body, are you? Is the chassis is it strong enough to get that heart and the mind back to where to where it needs to go? Right. So even if you look at all the attributes that we measure, it, it, you can bend them out in those three main categories. And just like a three-legged stool, if one of those is gone, the stool falls over. You need all three uh, to have a successful operator. And so the question is, how do you measure that? And then what, where do you put the line of uh, what's a quote acceptable and what's not? I think we're there. Uh, it's just a matter of fine-tuning the processes right now and finding out where, um, how far we can push it. Yeah. And pe people forget, like you guys are a year and a half, two years old. You've got, you know, a handful of, of classes that have run through. It's a, it's, Indoc always was a living, breathing thing that we would change when we had a reason to change. We've made a lot of changes with ANS. So anybody that has any feeling on ANS right now in the new model, I always kind of laugh at. I'm like, using what focus group? You guys are, you know, seven, eight, you know, less than 10 classes through. So things are going to change. It's going to happen. So, um, 
switching gears a little bit, I know that you are a uh, practitioner of martial arts as well. So we get a lot of questions like, hey, what's the best thing to do in my off time? I like jujitsu. I know you like jujitsu and stand up and some other stuff, rock climbing, shooting. What kind of other hobbies can can our uh, people supplement their normal training stuff, not only to have some fun, but actually transfers to the job? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for me, it goes, you know, if you look at what's the point of a hobby, right? The point of a hobby is something you do in your off time to give yourself your mind time to relax and chill out, whatever that fun thing is. Um, if it happens to relate to the job, great, because then that can transfer and make you better on the job. At the end of the day, the point of a hobby is that recharge time, right? So if knitting sweaters is what recharges your battery as a hobby, it's really calming. I don't know why you said knitting sweaters <laughs> like that, but I got to be honest with you, nothing. And it's was, fall. False I was looking aesthetic. at you. I was looking at you when I said that. <laughs> That's what I'd say. So uh, behind the curtain, everybody, the Browns are currently playing. So I've got my Browns hoodie on because apparently that helps because I'm a superstitious NFL guy, but whatever. We're going to black out your video when we publish the video. We're gonna... <laughs> That's hurtful. Stay away from the YouTube trend. <laughs> yeah, so back to my point. So if you like to knit sweaters... As a hobby, and that recharges your body and gets you back in the fight stronger than what you were before to do those tasks, and that's what you should do. You know, I, you know, I, I, at the same time, I think there's value in exploring hobbies that do directly translate to the job because you might find that you really enjoy those. Uh, but I would say, don't make a hobby just an extension of the of your work. All right, that's not the point of a hobby. All right, so at, you know, you should absolutely you know explore things you may find you enjoy them, but uh, don't don't say, hey, if I'm not you know, you're happy Gilmore, you know, shouting 364 more days till hockey season, looking for hobbies that get you better at the job when you're not supposed to be working that, you know, that's not, it's probably going to wear you out. Uh, you, you need that downtime. So Aaron, you want to go knit your sweaters before the podcast. That's great. And get your game on, you know, I really no appreciate judge, that. No, no judgment here. No judgment. <laughs> Should we explain what happy Gilmore is to some of the people that may not know. <laughs> I know, yeah. We were just talking before about how like a certain group of people aren't going to be able to get these references, and Happy Gilmore is right on that line. It is. That's true. Google it. Oh, that that's hurtful when you have to say that. Uh, so, so Chief, obviously, one of the things that we talk about here often is uh, the, I think the bulk of our audience are people that are thinking about getting into uh, Air Force Special Warfare uh, across the, the gamut of the AFSs. Um, advice for people coming in, you know, psychological advice, physical advice. I think psychological is, is much more important and, uh, much like the, the, you know, the jujitsu, the Muay Thai, whatever else that you do to, to steal yourself and then getting your mind right before you get here. Do you have any advice for those guys coming in, uh, to be successful? Yeah, I'd say ha have the answer to why you're there answered, um, uh, before you get there. All right. Uh, so, that little voice in your head that starts saying, stop, 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 it's hard, stop. Like, you need to have an answer to that and tell, you, tell it to shut up. All right? So a lot of times, if you got a, a weak reason for being there, that, it's, that voice is going to override that when the, you know, the, the quote, quitter voice starts speaking up. Right? So you know, your job is not to go through training. Your job is not to graduate training. It's not to you know, pass some any type of selection. Your job is to go out there and do the job, whichever one you chose. And so that should be the goal. That's your long-term goal. Everything else is just a means to an end. All right. So, you know, have an answer for why I want to do that job and have it resonate toward inside of you of why. So when it gets hard and I say when deliberately, like you got an answer and that's the, that's the rock and that's the foundation that you're going to draw on to keep pushing through because the end is more important than this temporary situation that you're going to be going through. Uh, so that's probably my biggest advice in a, in a generic sense. Right. And I think you touched on that earlier when you said you weren't interested in going to the, the 724 to go through another selection and to prove yourself again necessarily was you were trying to get closer to the fight and you weren't asking, you know, a ton of questions on the Internet, whether or not it was a thing at the time, uh, you know, like how dangerous <laughs> is the job? How much comedy? You see, like you were just like, oh, man, I don't I don't care about what the selection is. I'm trying to get closer to the fight. And I think um, that that really resonated with me. But like if I'm a, a 17 year old kid out there, 16 year old and I'm trying to get into this, do you have any, anything that you would suggest that they can do, you know, maybe while they're living at home or while they're in college or, or high school um, specifically that would help them? Uh, yeah, I can think on the same approach. You know, we kind of go back to the physical thing, like being, there's, you're never too strong. And so obviously get to the gym and start getting yourself trained. Uh, and again, start answering why you want to do it because you're going to, you're going to get, you're going to be asking yourself some hard questions when the times get hard. So you better have a good answer for it uh, to keep you in the fight. Uh, and the other thing too, uh, for me, you know, there's, it's a thing worth doing there. You know, many times we pursue 
professions and careers in life that are very self-serving. Uh, like for me, it's you know more altruistic. Like you know, going out there and fighting to protect America or bringing somebody home, like that's something worth doing, and that's all. It's always resonated with me. So for me, that's the answer. You know, things get hard. Why are you doing this? I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for the guy next to me, or you know, his mom and his parents that are relying on me to get him home. Right. So that's what drives me. And that makes sense to me. And I mean, really, you've had. I mean, I'll just say it. You've had an amazing career. Um, and gone through multiple selections. So you're, you know, you're a veteran of mental toughness and physical toughness. And as you're in the new position that you're in now, what kind of changes would you like to see in ANS or, or are you happy with the way they are right now? I think the biggest thing is uh, in culture, the, the culturization, because uh, I, I think we've gotten really, we're really focusing on the individual, which we need to. Uh, uh, but it's also teaching them what it means to be part of the team of the larger special warfare picture. So I think that's one piece of the puzzle that we're starting to fit in now. And, and you know, it's a matter of thing. You got to do it smartly. If you just start slapping stuff on one, it doesn't stick very well uh, and it becomes painful and almost gets rejected. So it's a matter of weaving those lessons back in. Uh, you know, I love the phrase where some things can be taught and other things must be learned. Our challenge is creating opportunities for them to learn the things that they need w- without them realizing it. You know, again, you know, the old NDOC model I was kind of alluding to before, I, I learned a lot through that model. I didn't realize I was learning those things until years later, looking back, like, holy cow, like that's where I got that. That's where that got instilled in me. But it's not a PowerPoint. Nobody tells you that. You just learn it from, this, the, from the opportunities and the situations you're put in. And so that's our challenge at the training group is creating those same opportunities and those same situations for them, those candidates or the students to start learning those same lessons and, you know, start teaching them without them realizing it. Yeah. Well, so as a, as a guy who's stepping into a role that I've never done before, did you ever think that you would be at the group level over special warfare training group? No, I never thought past next week <laughs> as a general rule. As a general rule, I got a seven-day planning period, so I'm looking out to next Sunday, and that's it. That's pretty much as far as I think. No, I really didn't. I, uh, for me, the, the focus was the job. I just, you know, I kept my nose down. You know, it's almost a career sled dog. I was a master sergeant in charge of nobody for a long time, just getting the job done because uh, that's what I want to do. And then finally, you know, the realization happens where you finally get to that point in your career where you either promote yourself or to get too broke to actually go out and everything just hurts too bad. And that's when your mind becomes more valuable than your body. Like all your experiences and things you learn, like you become more valuable at what you can give back to the younger generation than you can by charging the hill by yourself or how fast you can climb a rope ladder, things like that, right? So for me, that's where the transition came, where it realized I'm just not in a position to go out there running a gun and getting sweaty anymore. So how can I keep giving back? It's well, embrace the new battlefield, right? So that's kind of how I frame it for me. Like it's a, it's a different battlefield. I got different weapons. I got different tools in the arsenal, but I'm fighting just as hard. It's just you got to shift shift the mindset. Uh, so for me, it's, you know, take the same mindset, uh, learn the new battlefield, learn your environment, and then start finding attacking the weak points to get, get the job done. Yeah. Well, with this new battlefield, I know I can appreciate the fact that you're just getting into the seat for about two or three weeks now, but can you kind of go through the process for us? Because we talk about it all the time, but being able to hear it from, from you know, the people in charge, it'd be great. So say a guy or girl graduates BMT and then on. Yeah, sir. So you graduate BMT, uh, and right now, so due to COVID, uh, we developed a new program called Development, where because a lot of times the previous session we call them before they enter basic, they weren't able to work out and prepare themselves. So there's a, a temporary program right now called Dev. So if you go in and you're not up, then you go into this development program, you know, you graduate that, then you go into special warfare prep. And you go through that, and then you go through ANS. So the development and the and the preparatory are really where you're being taught and coached. All right. There are really are no go, no go standards. It's here's your time. You're given elite level coaches and athletes and facilities and a dream to get yourself prepared. Like everything that you need, we are giving you. Right. So what we require back is commitment. Like we can't give that to you. We can't give you the fire. We can't give you the commitment, but we can give you every tool that you need to get yourself ready to get to for the ANS. Uh, and then once you get the ANS, it's hands off. Now it's time to show us what you've been able, who you are. All right. So, you know, we, you're going to show us who you are by what you do during ANS. And so that's where uh, that investment gets a return or it doesn't. And, and, and frankly, it's on the individual. There's no excuse. You have every opportunity provided. And so if you're not making it, it's like, you got to commit and uh, push through. I, yeah, could do and old, I could do the old guy thing where we didn't have that in our day, but I won't. 
Thank goodness. I lo- oh man, there's nothing I hate more than hearing it. When we would have, so I, I would do the family brief. So four times a year, I would brief everybody that came in for graduation. And there was always one PJ, one old PJ that would come up and be like, I don't know, man, you guys got all this light, high speed equipment. I could probably be running and gunning at this time in my life. I was like, friend, you are 75 years old. You smoke a pack a day. I doubt it. But listen, it is cool. We, we, you did not have these things. I, I got it. So to be fair, like I say that tongue in cheek, because when I, even when I was a student, we were hearing the same thing from the old guys. So if you guys got it easier, <laughs> right? So every older heavier, generation, water was wetter. Exactly. Temperatures yeah. always colder. So it's just the common theme. It's almost like the old guy imperative. You have to say that. Yeah. So, so you talk about, uh, leaving BMT. How does that differ for cross trainees? For cross trainees, they will come in. Uh, so we're making special warfare prep the single point of entry. So everyone gets through special warfare prep. So we're working on that. Whereas, because before there was basically six different ways to get into ANS, and there, that could be problematic because you have different levels of preparation. And then how do you how do you equitably assess people uh, when you know their different backgrounds? So we're working on that now. So it'll be to go through special warfare prep right into ANS. So that's coming up. Um, when, you know, when we pull the trigger on that, I'm not exactly sure, but that's the plan. Okay, and I don't imagine you could say when you would estimate that you guys are going to make that change. Just nope. say, say it right and now. Just put it out as fast <laughs> as you can. Don't don't think about it. Just say the date and then say that you approve it. Even if I knew, I would not tell you right now. Oh, that's hurtful. <laughs> that's hurtful. Because <laughs> things change, and I don't want to be held to it. Now, I... Again, I'm going to put you on the spot because I, I know that you haven't seen any of our questions that we're going to ask you, but I've heard about this um, uh, buy versus build. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I've actually heard a few different theories on what buy versus build means. I'll tell you how I understand it. Uh, so the buy model is typically is basically the assessment where we're going to look at who you are and we're going to buy whatever you are when we say yes to you. Right. And so it is very little of a developmental. So that's kind of the indoc model, if you will. Like we are buying whatever you show us you got, and there we're not going to really teach you or build you anywhere from there. The build model is, hey, we need to show that you got the raw material to a certain level, and we're going to build you and get you to the end state of where we need you. All right. So the buy model typically is you show us what you got for your, your end state already, or the build model is we'll get you to the end state. Uh, so that's you know the simplistic, most simplistic version of how, of how I understand for most people, I've heard, like I said, I've heard a few different versions of what that means. But so with that buyers build in mind, um, you know, talking about, we get a lot of questions. Dudes asking like, should I do paramedic school? Should I learn anatomy and physiology? Should I go do you know public speaking classes? That kind of thing. Is there anything that you'd recommend as far as learning or books that that guys read before they come into the pipeline um, to get more value during the buy process? I guess. Yeah, I, I would say um, attack your weaknesses. Uh, so I can, I'm not going to give it flat out. If you want to be a PJ, everyone should go to the paramedic or should take med classes. I, I think it's know what your weaknesses are and attack your weaknesses and shore those up as much as you can before you enter the process. Uh, so, you know, I, I, it's very difficult to get specific advice on that. I would also caution against uh, trying to uh, prepare yourself too much on the on the front end because one, you might start getting bad info. It might you you may be getting taught things that are actually not accurate to how you're going to be taught uh, in the military, uh, specifically if you're pulling civilian sources and that the military does things a little differently. So you can maybe set yourself up for some confusion later on by getting over aggressive on that. Uh, and again, um, you know, that, that might can be the recharge time as well. Like don't stress yourself out before it's time to get stressed thinking you get, I have to do all these things or I'm not preparing myself. Uh, so it's a balance, but I would say as a general rule, find out where weaknesses are, pick one, maybe two, don't say everything's a weakness. I'm going to do everything, you know, like your, your biggest ones, then attack them, whatever they are. Yeah. I was, yeah. I always thought it was valuable as an instructor too to watch a student. Like, here's the information that I want to present you like cold, like here's some new information. I want you to be able to retain it. And whether it comes with a performance goal at the end of it, or if it's just them retaining that information, that's actually good impact or a good input for me as an instructor. Like you want to see them think through those problems as well. So being prepared for everything that sometimes doesn't, that's sometimes it actually like negates the point of the event that I'm running, if that makes sense. 
Right. I think one of the biggest things that I, as an instructor, uh, biggest challenges was a guy that was thought they were just so prepared that they wouldn't listen to the things that a instructor was saying. So, you know, whether or not they're the captain of their swim team or, you know, collegiate athletes, they felt like they knew all of the answers. And in reality, it's not about like, okay, you're going to swim fast either way. You're probably going to pass because you're an awesome swimmer, but put into practice the things that we're telling you to do or asking you to do. That way you can show that you're a teachable person because, uh, you know, we always say the indoc or selection is like kindergarten for the rest of the schooling that you're going to do. Like we're going to grow you up through this entire process. We want that person that's going to be a, a good operator, a good teammate, a good team leader and all that stuff. Um, but we need you to teach the techniques and learn the techniques that we're going to be um, expecting you to use. So I think that's um, a really big thing uh, is to be teachable. Um, so uh, on that line, um, I did want to go back a little bit because we are in this COVID era of, of things. And I know you said you added a development course um, to the standards and everything. Has there been a stop process in any of the pipeline or graduation things? I just want people to, to hear it from you guys, um, kind of what you guys are doing and what they can expect whenever they go in. Cause we don't know really how long this stuff is going to impact the, the pipeline. And we obviously got to keep on adjusting. So is there anything else specifically that, uh, COVID has done to impact the pipeline? Uh, it certainly has changed some of the systems and it slows down and makes things more cumbersome, but it, the, the machine is still chugging. Uh, you know, of course, if you get an outbreak at a specific school, then that may shut it down uh, for quarantine and things like that, but you can't control those. But systematically, it's and we do cohort-based movements, and so the cohort is essentially treated as a single entity, and so they are quarantined together. And so what that does, it allows you to move large groups of people while keeping everyone, while max, still maximizing public safety. Uh, so that's one method of doing it. Uh, so by and large, you know, we aren't, we're not doing anything different than the rest of the military is doing as far as uh, safety procedures and things like that. It's just getting creative of how you apply those within our system to maximize uh, our production. Well, it's almost like going back to the old school days, like the team going to each school together. That's actually kind of cool. Like I always, uh, I always dig hearing those stories from, from the old guys that were like, yeah, our whole team went to Indoc together. Then our whole team went to airborne and our whole team went to, you know, essentially the entire pipeline. And the first time they really split up was when they got their first duty assignment. That was, that was pretty cool. So, I mean, yeah, maybe, so that's maybe, a deliberate effort uh, right now is to form those and then really try and put and uh, push the cohort movements as opposed to individuals. Obviously you're going to have your cats and dogs that, you know, for whatever reason that doesn't work, but that's programmatically, that's the approach right now. Yeah, that's actually a really cool idea. I bet that has like some second and third order positive effects for the team dudes and dudettes going through. So that's kind of cool. Hey, so we wanted to bring you on, especially to talk about mental preparation. We get a lot of specific questions and I was lucky enough to sit through your your mental armor brief that, that you talked about. Man, I want to open the floor to you because while a lot of our, our listeners are, you know, your classic 15 to 34 year old adult male and females that want to come in to do aspect war, we actually do have a whole lot of people in the career field that listen to the, to the podcast. So congratulations. Congratulations, you're partially internet famous, like Peaches. Um, man, tell us about Mental Armor, and, and you had some really unique ideas. Number one, on just, it's never been done before. Like the things that you're actually doing with the Mental Armor, you know, research and briefs that you've got, it, it's actually a first of its kind, which was kind of cool to hear you talk through. So, and I just want to open it up to you, like talk about Mental Armor, you know, how it can affect our listeners, like those people getting ready to go into AFSPEC war, but also people in the career field. Yeah, so I'll try and keep the wave top because uh, it, it can go fairly deep and there's a lot of rabbit holes or rabbit trails to go down. Uh, but by and large, essentially what mental arm is on, on the conceptual level, it is mentally preparing people before you go to war, similar to how we issue body armor, right? So the you know, military, we issue body armor to protect the body from, the, from the, uh, the damage from combat. But what we don't do is issue a mental armor corollary to that, meaning we have dedicated focus training on the mental side to prepare you for the quote horrors of war. Uh, so if I want to continue the analogy, essentially what we do on the mental side is we say, we're not going to give you body armor, but we're going to make some really good hospitals. All right. And so the hospitals are absolutely necessary, but we can preempt that by upfront loading a lot of the training, a lot of the, you know, the things that guys talk about after they have problems, if we provide those tools before they get in those situations, I think that, you know, we can really minimize you know, the mental aspect of the mental toll on war just by front loading all that knowledge that typically is withheld until you've already had problems. And you're already, you're already on your back. Uh, so that's it in a nutshell. Uh, and so my approach really was uh, experience-based 
focused a lot of just my own experiences and reflection back and talking to a lot of other guys and watching other people. Uh, so I kind of broke it down into five basic phases. You know, the first phase is the preparation phase, which is the training and even, you know, talking about the milk tolerance phase. Second one is the performance phase. You're actually doing the job or, you know, your quote exposure time where you're going to get stressed and see those things. And the third phase is the reaction phase where you react to whatever you've been exposed to during that performance. Sometimes it's a big reaction. Sometimes it's no reaction, but we always have some type of reaction that pushes us one way or the other typically. All right. And then it, between the third and the fourth one is where you make a choice, right? So you go from reaction and then you go to reflection, right? So you, you take the time to sit back in those quiet moments and really think back and start analyzing how did I react to that? How does that impact me? What am I thinking about that? Or how else can I tie that? Right. So you're actually just having those asking those tough conversations, you know, those tough conversations with yourself and like, man, we're not always as cool as we like to think. Like, you know, own it. Like own it or it owns you. You know, and, you know, the big point I'm making this is don't get upset because you're upset. Like there are certain things in war that should upset normal people. Like you should not wade through blood and guts and say, ah, oh, no, I'm all right. It doesn't affect me. No, that it should affect you. Like that is a good thing. It's a normal response to abnormal circumstances, right? So that's one of the pieces. And then the backside of that, the final phase is the respond phase, which, all right, now I know where I'm at. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to react to it? And how am I going to get myself stronger for the next piece? And part of that is acknowledging, uh, you know, like I'm weaker and that hit me hard. So I'm going to start be ready for it and preparing myself like, Hey, this is a reality of life. Um, just because it bothers me. And that's the big thing is just because you're bothered. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. And you can't keep doing the job. You know, I think uh, a lot of guys in my experience, in my opinion, get that circle where they get, start getting upset because they're upset and it just starts spiraling them because they've placed this expectation on themselves that nothing is supposed to touch them. Nothing's supposed to bother them. And when it does, they get in this self-denial thing or this self-loathing of I'm bothered because they're not at least honest enough to acknowledge it and start thinking that they're not measured up to some fictitious standard of of warriorhood and it's this shame spiral and you can see guys do it they're just they're yep. upset because they're upset and then they're mad at themselves for their performance which really probably wasn't that bad they just put way too much stress on themselves and then they start folding all of those layers in and you can just you can watch it happen it's awful yeah yeah so that's the five basic phases and, it, and it, digging in each of those five it, you know we can i can hit different aspects that i think are useful uh, but the big piece is the, the the preparation in the world. I think that's really where it comes in. It's just sometimes just putting words to things that we all will do instinctively can be very powerful for people. One, it lets them know that they're not alone. And two, it's like, hey, this is normal. Like other people are doing the same thing and there, there's words for this. And like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I've never thought about that. Like there's, that can be very powerful for some people. I completely agree. And I think, you, you know, uh, I guess some of the concerns with the whole graduation standards, going back to that a little bit, um, kind of, I, I believe, this is just my thoughts to it, is that people are afraid that it's just not going to be hard. So they're going to miss that stress inoculation that the soft community kind of relies on because we need our people to be stressed, understand how they perform, how they think in a stressful environment because I mean, there's only so much that we can, um, you know, capture in training and selection when you compare it to real world because you never, I mean, I mean, the stress just keeps going, going, going um, in real world operations, whether the operation is going good or usually it's going really bad. So I, I think it's important to capture that even in this new pipeline and this new ANS selection that you are going to receive that stress inoculation like the rest of us have and the rest of the soft community. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to bring that up because I address the stress inoculation specifically in my brief. And so there's basically two types. Uh, the military, by and large, misapplies stress inoculation training, or I'll call it SIT for short. It's misapplied. Um, so what it means Absolutely. is they're, they're just like, you know what, you know how to make this more valuable. Let's just make it extremely hard. Let's just make it louder and harder. Right. So the problem with that is, is you're not teaching people the tools on how to then be performing that stressful environment. You're just making them stressed out. And so you'll have people who start to figure it out or some people just muscle through it and make it happen. Uh, so it's misapplied in that regard because, you know, sit is an actual clinical process. Uh, it's a clinical, um, term uh, and there are specific processes and procedures they use for it so military sit is typically i'm just going to make you hot and cold and hungry stress you out and then now we now we've inoculated you against stress because we stressed you out 
Not necessarily. Like you, you have to have the tools. Your only inoculation only works if you're stronger on the back end than you were on the front end. I'm not sure that's always the case just by kicking people in the face. All right. So now granted, doing that has some value because you learn how to fight through pain, right? So there's some value in that side. But um, by and large, just making people do hard things doesn't make them hard necessarily. Uh, and the other thing too on the mental armor front is the stress inoculation is absolutely valuable on the performance phase, but it does not teach people how to deal with the horrors of war during that, right? So sit is good in making you be able to perform in the moment and being able to perform under stress, but it does not teach you how to deal with the stress of experiencing whatever it is you experience during that moment. So it's a little different, right? So if I may, you know, stress inoculation as it is now makes me, you know, can make me more effective at, you know, functioning in the gunfight, right? Great. All right. I'm used to this. I'm used to running the gun and being scared, hearts up, hot, shooting, all that. What it doesn't teach you is how to deal with seeing your buddy's head blown up, right? And because that's also the reality of the gunfight. And that's after the fact, right? That's, you're not inoculated against that reality of the gunfight, but you're, even though you're more prepared to perform in the moment. So the mental armor piece is more geared towards how do you, pre, how do you prepare guys for dealing with that, that eventuality or that experience of, you know, it is very likely I'm going to see people, my friends killed in front of me and then how you deal with it, right? We don't, we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't even bring it up. Uh, so when it happens to guys, they are completely unprepared most of the time because they have not something that's even been on the dinner plate for them to eat, right? And now they're suddenly trying to figure out how to process all these things and internalize it. Why? Because no one else talks about it. So they must think it's not a problem for anybody else. It's not a thing, and they're the only one, right? So you kind of see all this starts to spiral, and they also have the expectation on themselves that, oh, I'm supposed to be cool with this. It's not supposed to bother me. So now this shame kicks in. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm supposed to be a barrel-chested freedom fighter. They can see everybody that I know killed and be cool with it on the back end because that's what they do in the movies, right? No, it's not the truth. It's not reality, right? So part of this, like in, it's just part of putting words to things that we all experience and letting them know, like, and just kind of letting the genie out, like, no, it's just normal reactions. Now, if you've seen your friends kill, like, it should bother you. That is a normal human response. You know, so don't hide from it. Well, uh, I think the, the, the training that we go through kind of almost leads us in the wrong direction because all of our normal responses we're taught to ignore and move forward and focus on that next thing on the task list. And I don't know about anybody else, but I've never gone through training where part of my task list was taking care of my emotional issues after the mission. You know, like, it's just not part of our, like, when I see it or when our guys see it and they're not prepared for it, like, your your default is to push it away like everything else, like physical pain, and then just move forward with the mission, right? Move forward with the next task on that list. And I think that's what you're, you're kind of saying, right, is we need to put that thing as a task on our task list to, to make it make sense to, to our community. Yeah, it does make sense. And it, it touches on uh, the, the suppression versus repression, right? So suppression of emotionality is the temporary bypassing of emotions to get the job done right now, which is absolutely necessary. You know, if my buddy Bob is shot, like I, the last thing he needs is for me to get all teary-eyed crying over him, you know, feeling bad for him because he hurt. Like, no, what he needs together, to get, Bob. Come on, he needs man. Me to get, <laughs> he needs me to get in the fight and start patching him up, not getting all emotional about it. And so say Bob dies, like even then, the rest of the team needs me to stay in the fight and not start, you know, crying over dead Bob next to me. I, I got to stay in the fight. So that temporary suppression is absolutely necessary. But typically what happens is that, re that suppression turns into repression where, the, you know, you bury it once and it's just easier to keep it buried. So it stays buried and you don't ever bring it back up and then deal with it. All right. And so I think that's what happens a lot of times. And we do it. With, we all do it to varying degrees. Uh, I think it's just a matter of putting words to it and experiencing it and then creating that mechanism, that deliberate mechanism to then sit there in a room by yourself or with a trusted friend or whatever and talk about those things and bring it up so you do deal with it. Because if you don't, you keep pushing it down. It's a pressure cooker. You know, typically it results in booze and destructive behavior, really. You know, you know, you start seeing the PTSD and the suicide rates and things like that. I think that's a big piece of that is the guy just keep burying things and it ends up, uh, you know, eating them up from the inside. And they don't really yeah. understand what's going on necessarily precisely. Well, and, you know, Peaches and I, you know, and, and Brian, as a matter of fact, like, you know, you, you work some overseas locations as well. And we worked over in England with a, a really close friend that, you know, we all kind of saw that developing for a long time. You know, Chris, you know, had a lot of those problems with suppression turning into repression. And then he was that quintessential sort of combat controller dude that just lived that, you know, he's like, I'm supposed to be bulletproof and I'm supposed to, you know, whatever. And everybody kind of saw his, his decline of that mental stuff because you can only, you can only repress it for so long. Like it's coming back up and it's going to cause issues. And the more prepared you are to actually deal with that, like the, 
the uh, analogy about the, you know, the hospitals and, and how we approach mental care right now is dead on. I loved it the first time that I heard you say it. And, uh, you know, it rings true here. It's exactly how we do it. We train for everything else. <clears throat> you know, we have uh POTIF teams that will train strength and conditioning, you know, world-class level athletes, you know, to prepare our bodies for the deployment. And they'll put you on a cycle to be peaking right during that time. But, you know, we don't have something, you know, left of bang to get there. Yeah, I think that the challenge though too is it's such a, a uh, it's a con- it's a concept, and so it's really hard to wrap your hands around in a consistent manner of applying uh, some of these tools and lessons because some of it is it's so experiential. Um, so that's the challenge that I have right now of trying to formalize it into into a way to convey those to other people. So it, for me, it's just speaking plain English on my experiences with it, and uh, I think it resonates. You know, trying to use analogies, I, I use that a lot because I find that's a good way to. to to teach a concept in another way that may, you know, it may click for somebody where saying it's another way may not click for them. Yeah. I, uh, I was actually digging through. So spoiler alert, we've been deployed together, but I was digging through, uh, I keep all of my notebooks because I knew that I had a whole bunch of good Nate Cox isms that I've always kept for a long time, because whether you know it or not, you're very tagline worthy. You just say things that end up uh, being something. My favorite too, that I found is one night there was a, a call sign for a, an approximate gunship. And you leaned over to me and said, approximate gunship is a great name for a rock, like a rock album. And I, so I, I wrote that down that made the book. And then the other one was, you know, we, uh, we always talk about getting put in harm's way. I want to put harm in my way. Those are my, my favorite two <laughs> Nate Coxisms, but we're going to get you a bunch of taglines for, for mental armor to, to get that brief out there. All right. I just got a couple more questions for you. I just want to go back to some of the other things that we were talking about, because everything that you you've said so far, you know, kind of depends on feedback and how you take that feedback, whether it's from yourself or from other people that are around you. Um, so we talk about like this 360 drill. And for those people that have never been part of a team or in these stressful situations before, that's what Indoc was for me. I never really, I play sports and stuff, but not to that level of where, you know, you're constantly in and out thinking about this, this game that you're playing, this selection that you're involved in. Um, and then, you know, constantly receiving feedback, whether from the instructors or from yourself or just your body, um, aching and crying. Um, is there any other, uh, techniques that you implement as far as taking that feedback and making it into something that you can utilize? Um, and then, you know, people, whether or not they're used to getting feedback, they may see it as just straight criticism or, um, whatever, but there's always something that you can take away from whether it's negative, positive and make yourself better. How would you, uh, you know, recommend guys that are coming to that situation to kind of internalize that and organize it to use it? All right. So Aaron, I just came up with another tagline for you. Ego is the enemy of better. Oh, All right. So see, get a shirt, get a shirt <laughs> made right now. We got a good, we got a good track record with turning good taglines and a successful shirt ideas. So that just happened. So on it, it's, it's really just truly the humility of realizing and really knowing like you're not it like you will make mistakes and there and it sucks like nobody likes to hear that they need they need to improve on something mm-hmm. right and so it's just that true humility and you know understanding that it's coming from a place to make you better not to not to tear you down right so especially when you work and here's a hey these are things you need to work on they're not telling you that to 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 make fun of you or to beat you down it's hey i want to i want you I'm telling you this to make you better and stronger at the long run. So it's actually good. So it's an attitude, just as you said, of, of how you approach it. I mean, it doesn't necessarily make it feel any better. All right. But you know, as Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings. Right. <laughs> so how you feel about it is irrelevant really to, is it true or not? And if it's true, it's something you really need to work on to make it better. Uh, so uh, I'd say just the humility and realize, you know, you're not, none of us have arrived. I don't care who you are, where you've been or, what you know like there's always room to grow I'll, I'll make i make mistakes all the time and hopefully you catch them yourself and somebody else calls them out be humble enough and just all right well you know thanks for pointing that out because i didn't see that or that sucks to hear i'll, I'll, be, I'll do better right and so uh, ego is the enemy of better so i'll say it again yeah love it that's perfect um so for those guys that are coming in is there anything else that uh the one thing that you would have told your former self before you joined all of these other selections and went through your storied career, um, you know, as a 17 year old, 16 year old, you looking towards the military, um, thinking about that stuff, what would you tell yourself to do? 
Uh, I would say stop taking yourself so serious. All right. That is something that's taken me a long time to really embrace that. And I, I mean that ser seriously. Uh, when I was younger, I always had something to prove moving into myself. You know, and there was no room for error. There's no room for fun. Like I'm here to get a job done. And, you know, I kind of bought into that lie. I was kind of telling you, you know, kind of move it to the milk farmer piece of I'm supposed to be this, this, and this, and I'm not, I'm still not, nobody is right. And like, we're not that myth that we typically build up in our head. So, you know, don't take yourself so serious, dude. You're going to mess up and have fun along the way. Uh, really, uh, that's what I do now. I, I'm probably more relaxed now <laughs> than I was when I, when I first came in just because I'm more comfortable in my skin. I, I, I'm not the, I don't have that insecurity of, you know, I have to prove something or I'm not or I'm not worth something. Uh, but that's all been burned away. You know, I've had enough boxes checked and realized. And sometimes I'll, I'll be straight up. You know, I've, you know, I have not measured up every time. Like, that's just the reality. I, I don't think anybody can say that they have. You know, and I actually use those moments today. Like I use those moments where I wasn't measuring up as fuel now to keep me going. You know, if something gets hard, like, nope, like you remember that time? Like, all right, nope, that's why I'm going to keep going because I remember that time where I screwed up. And it's, if I keep going now, it's going to keep me from doing that again. All right, so I use fuel. I mean, you know, I use failure as fuel. There's another one for you, Aaron. Right, so I use that as fuel. <laughs> I'm glad I'm recording. <laughs> push me. Yeah, we're gonna have to keep a collection of these or like uh, keep them on the bottom of the YouTube channel or something. Maybe we'll just I'll, make I'll a little post to, I'll pin or a story. Something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that way we can throw those up and just keep a record of it because those are all awesome and literally um, look, could go off of either one of those for this entire time on this episode. So um, yeah, I think that's really awesome advice to to give to these people that are coming up and you know, it's it's difficult for anyone because i can remember back whenever i was uh younger and i felt like like you said never accomplished anything like i haven't done anything i haven't proven anything i still feel like i haven't proven anything which is um you know i think like you said one of the important attributes that we should always strive for is there's always something we could be doing better and you know until the day we die we're never going to be perfect it's always just getting that a um, little bit better every single day and doing as much as we can to help those around us. Cause at the end of the day, it's what you leave uh, behind, which is um, again, like we were talking about, you spent most of your time as a sled dog going through, um, you know, your instructor for a little bit, which made you even more chomping at the bit. Cause you had that leash behind you, just holding you back from the fight whenever, especially whenever, um, you know, nine 11 happened that really sparked a lot of patriotism within all of us um, that we didn't really think, think about before because we didn't fight in the wars we thought you know we didn't see um, people coming to our doorstep and trying to bring the fight to us so we felt like we needed to go and take it to them um but you ended up spending um, a lot of time doing that and going through selection and more and more bettering yourself and ensuring that you give back as much as you possibly could to um, the fight that uh that you have been involved in and the mental armor piece i think um is especially relevant to those. Cause like we were talking about, we have stories of where we could have done better or we didn't know how to respond to a certain situation. And, um, in order to implement this into those people that are coming up in the pipeline, it's going to be huge for the longevity of their careers and them able to, you know, interact with their families, keep relationships together and that kind of thing that we usually see fall apart. Um, if people aren't prepared for that kind of thing. So I think that's going to be a huge thing to implement, especially, you know, having you in that special warfare training group spot uh, where you have a huge weigh in on everything that's going on there. Um, and we've said before that we completely believe in the system and the guys that are up there doing the job and making those decisions. And of course you are one of those people that we hundred percent trust in the career field and everything. So every, everybody listening to this, um, you're in good hands and you're going to be selected and assessed, uh, to the utmost of, uh, you know, our abilities and the career field's abilities, because like, like we've said before, we want to make sure that those people that are replacing us are better than we ever were. And you guys get the best training available. So, um, we really want to thank you for coming on here and talking to us about, um, uh, you know, your, your career, your awesome career and your, your taglines that definitely we're going to put somewhere. Um, we'll just watch the post. We'll figure out exactly how we're going to implement this. But I think all these lessons are really important to pass on. And that's why we're doing this podcast uh, to begin with is pass on as much as we can to you guys that are out there. And uh, you guys can do out there and be better than us. So make sure you guys, um, you know, like, subscribe, do all that stuff. Um, if you guys have any questions later on, you guys can always, uh, email us at info1sready.com. And then of course, Instagram always answer the messages on there or individually. 
So again, Chief, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. You taking the time out of your day to come over here and talk to us, spread some knowledge. Um, you're always welcome to come on if you have anything to relate to, you know, any of the up and coming students or things that you would like us to throw out to help them prepare, then just let us know. Yeah, I, uh, thanks, thanks again, guys, for the opportunity. Uh, and uh, thanks for what you guys are doing, too, out of your own time uh, for the community. You know, like you're not making money. Your dime and your time uh, that you're putting out there trying to bring up the next generation. So uh, from one old dude who will be passing the torch along in the next generation, uh, thanks, because, uh, you know, it does, it'll die if people just keep, don't keep coming in. You guys are, are, I think, doing a pretty good job of feeding that. So uh, thanks. thanks for what you guys are doing. Appreciate it. Yeah, Appreciate no it, Chief. Appreciate it. You guys go out there and each breath. We'll catch you later. Thanks for coming on. Train hard.